chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. I think that when you study through a book and it takes you kind of a long time to move through there, you kind of lose your way sometime. And we've been studying 1 Corinthians since August. And, and you kind of forget the layout. And it's kind of important to go back and, and review the layout, the kind of find our way again. And, and we need to remember that, that this book was written by the Apostle Paul in the first century to a first century church. And this material that's in 1 Corinthians is about a first century church. The Apostle Paul founded, farmed, and birthed the church at Corinth. It was a church in a bustling, thriving metropolis. It was a wicked city. As a matter of fact, if a person wanted to emphasize how wicked somebody else was, he'd talk about that man is, is Corinthicized. He's, he is evil because the name Corinth became associated with every form of, of sin and evil, especially sexual sin. They had a temple there where people celebrated worship uh, and, 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 and served prostitutes and were served by them. So after the Apostle Paul birthed the, Corinth, the church at Corinth, he left. And about 18 months had transpired and some problems began to develop in this church. A lot of uh, sin and, and a lot of uh, uh, division was in the church. And so some people who remembered the Apostle Paul and, and were loyal to him who had given them uh, the gospel uh, sent a message to the Apostle or a letter inquiring of him some advice or counsel concerning these problems. And so the last section of the book of 1 Corinthians has to do with Paul's response to their inquiry and their, their, their uh, request for his advice and counsel and spiritual help. If you look at chapter 7 with me, you, it's, you see that it starts out with the words, Now concerning the things about which you wrote. Chapter 8 says the same thing. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols. So that phrase is really a familiar phrase in the last half of the book of 1 Corinthians. And it is Paul's response to their inquiry about certain problems that had developed in the church. What do we do about this? And he comes to chapter 12 to deal with the matter of spiritual gifts. It's a new concept probably to the church at Corinth. There hadn't been a whole lot said about spiritual gifts. It's not new to us perhaps, to some it is. But we've done two studies on spiritual gifts in our church. So it shouldn't be a new thing to us. It was a new thing to them, matter of spiritual gifts. But they were inquiring about it. They didn't understand about it. And they asked him about it. And so he deals with spiritual gifts in chapters 12, 13, and 14. And if our division, our scripture division is correct, as you know in the original manuscripts, there are no scriptural divisions. If our scriptural division is correct, there are 84 verses that deal with spiritual gifts. Which means 
that this topic, this, this matter that he's dealing with here, he spends more time on, there's more print on the matter of spiritual gifts than any other thing that he discussed in 1 Corinthians. Must be pretty important. Now, we need to make some clarification, I think, at this point. Now, I'm not going to be repetitious. I know we've studied the matter of spiritual gifts. I'm going to avoid everything that I've said about it before. But we do need to make some clarification about three things. First, we need to clarify, clarify or identify the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit Himself. Acts 2.38, when Peter preached, he said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit Himself. It's like saying, I enjoy the gift of good health. That doesn't mean that good health gives gifts. Good health is itself a gift. A gift. So that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit Himself. The Holy Spirit comes as God's gift to you in the salvation experience to live in your heart, God indwelling you, your spirit. Secondly, we need to clarify the meaning of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want to read a passage of Scripture, and I want you to turn to it. It's Galatians chapter 5. Now, Galatians, for some of us that may not be that familiar with the Bible, comes right after the, the letters to the Corinthians, chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. Now, I, I, uh, I kind of smile when I come to this list of the fruit of the Spirit, because when you and I talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we say, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and etc. Isn't that what we say? <laughs> We say love, joy, peace, etc. Because we don't know the others, you know. And, and but we do know love, joy, and peace, you know. But the other fruit of the Spirit is just as important as love and joy and peace. So let's look at the gifts. But the, but the, or rather the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now the fruit of the Spirit, uh, these are character traits. They're character virtues. They're virtues. They're what the Holy Spirit produces in the life of the believer. Now, now, there, now, now a person, a Christian, does not have all the gifts of the Spirit, but he has all the fruit of the Spirit. Now, now, don't you pray, I need more patience. You have all the patience that the Holy Spirit has, because the Holy Spirit who indwells you has, has the gift of patience. He has the fruit of patience, and He wants to produce that fruit in your life. It just needs to be produced. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is that which the Spirit-controlled life manifests. It's what the Holy Spirit produces, its character traits, virtues. What is the gift then of the Holy Spirit? The gifts are gifts. The gift are gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is this. A special skill or ability that the believer possesses to contribute to the whole body of Christ with ease, pleasure, and success. It's what the Holy Spirit gives you when you're saved that enables you to contribute to the body of Christ 
with ease, pleasure, and success. And every believer has a gift or gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at our text. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now he speaks to Christians and addresses them. Now the gifts of the Holy Spirit are those special uh, abilities or skills that only the believer possesses. Now, if you're not a believer tonight, if you've never been saved, your concern is to receive the Holy Spirit, is to trust Christ as your personal Savior and receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes and lives in your life. For spiritual gifts are for believers. It's what the Holy Spirit gives you by His own choice and volition when He comes to live in your life. So He's addressing believers. And He said, I would not have you without knowledge concerning gifts. Unknowledgeable. The word is a word that translates a Greek word that means agnostic. He's saying, I would not you, that you be agnostic. Now, an agnostic is a person who says, you may or may not be able to know. You can't know for sure. Now, now what Paul is saying is this that you should know about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you should know what your spiritual gift is. Now, there are such things as Christian agnostics. A Christian agnostic is a, is a, is a Christian who should know something but doesn't. Now, you should know what your spiritual gift is. You should know the matter of spiritual gifts. You should know what the Bible teaches about spiritual gifts. And if you don't, you need to do it. You need to get busy and learn that. Now he digresses a little bit in verses 2 and 3. Look at those with me. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now why in the world did he digress to make a statement like that? I don't know, but I think I do. I think he did that, this to teach us or to tell us that you indeed as a believer have the Holy Spirit. You've called Jesus Lord and you cannot call Jesus Lord unless except by the Holy Spirit who draws you and prompts you to call Him Lord. So if you have called Jesus Lord in the salvation experience, you indeed possess the Holy Spirit and in possessing the Holy Spirit, you possess spiritual gifts. Now let's look then at the source of the, of, of the uh, Spirit's gifts. Verses 4 and th through 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now did you notice the Trinity there in verses 4, 5, and 6? The Godhead... Verse 4, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, he talks about the Lord, that is Jesus, the kurios. And verse 6, he talks about God. Now he's saying, he, he refers to the Godhead. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are the, are the uh, evidence of the Godhead's ministry and activity. Now the source of the spiritual gifts, the source of spiritual gifts is God and the vehicle through which God 
delivers or brings the gift to the believer is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Now, he, taught, he uses the same word in three verses. It's the word varieties. There are varieties of gifts, and he names them later. In chapter 12 of Romans, in, in, in Ephesians 4, these gifts are, are also listed. Varieties of gifts. He says that there are varieties of ministries. Now, the gift of, of teaching has a, 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 provides one kind of ministry, and, and the gift of serving provides a different kind of ministry. There are varieties of ministries. Now, the word ministry is the word serving. It's the same word from which we get our word deacon, the idea of serving. Now, the serving of these gifts provides a variety of ministries so that as you minister your gift, it might be a different way of ministering than one other who ministers his gift. There are a variety of ministries. And there are varieties of effects, that is, the result of the ministry of the gift of the Holy Spirit produces a result, a variety of results, a variety of effects. Now let me see if I can illustrate it. You're still with me? Let's just imagine that behind me here in this choir loft is a beautiful orchestra. Now I'm going to try to illustrate varieties of gifts. You're going to have a variety of instruments in that orchestra. You've got your, you got your brass and you and, and you got your wind, your uh, wind instruments, your piccolos and flutes, and and what have you. And you got your stringed instruments, and you got your your, your percussion instruments. Just I'm a, you know, I'm just giving you what I know about orchestras, and that's about it. Okay, you've got a variety of of of, of instruments that makes different that make different sounds, but each one of those instruments, the person who is playing it, each one of the, those people uh, believes in a basic theory. For example, let's suppose that the brass group over here believes that there are two beats to a quarter note. Now, you folks that are not as up on music as I am, you, you don't know where I'm at now, but some folks do. So you got your brass group over here, and they believe that the quarter note takes two beats. And, and the, wind, the, the, the wind group, the piccolos and the flutes, why well, they believe that the quarter note carries six beats. And the brass believe that the quarter note carries a half beat. Now you put that together and you've got yourself a mess in the orchestra. They, they have variety of instruments, but they operate on the same theory that the quarter note has how many beats? How many? Four. Okay. Just checking you out. See if you really knew. Now... How about, how am I going to illustrate a variety of ministry? Okay? There are all kinds of, of, of music. You've got your, your patriotic, you've got your marches, you know, the, the uh, uh, stars and stripes forever. You've got rock and roll, and you've got your uh, blues, and your easy listening music. Now, um, in this orchestra, all kinds of music is going to be played tonight. 
Well, let's just suppose that while you got, you got one conductor and he's in charge and the brass over here is playing jingle bells and the, and the, and the wind instruments are playing uh, uh, stars and stripes forever and, and, and the, uh, and, and the uh, strings are playing the easy listening music. And, and, and just imagine what kind of a sound comes out of that. You've got one conductor and he's in charge and, and at some point in time the whole orchestra has to play the same piece. Now there are all kinds of results of music. If somebody, if the orchestra suddenly plays Stars and Stripes Forever, you might want to stand and salute and go out and fight for your country. Yesterday I was coming home, as a dark gray day, and I was kind of sad anyway, kind of melancholy, and I had my, uh, my, uh, my radio and the car radio on KMEZ, you know, easy listening. And that sad music, I just wanted to cry, you know, all the way home. It's just sentimental and sad. You could, you know, if you played the rock music, some of you might want to get up and dance. You know, it, 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 it produces all kinds of effects. Now watch this. When you have a variety of gifts and you have a variety of ministries and everybody together playing the same piece under the same conductor, the same Lord who is Lord of the church. What a tremendous thing you've got. You've got an orchestra. And when that orchestra is playing, you have these marvelous results. It sets your church moving. It sets them, it unifies them. It just brings this thing together in marvelous concert. And that's the desire that Paul had for the church at Corinth. It's the desire I have for this church. Now, what is the purpose of spiritual gift? Look at verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, there's the purpose. Now, we need to break that down into several words. The purpose of God giving us spiritual gifts is for the common good. That is, that it might be a mutual advantage or profit to the whole body. It's for the profit and advantage of the whole body. When you're exercising your spiritual gift, you're doing it for the mutual advantage of the church. A person who has the gift of teaching doesn't teach just so he can hear himself teach. The person who has the gift of serving doesn't serve because it makes him feel good to serve. He has someone else in mind. He has somebody else in mind. He does it for the common good. Now notice the second word. Each one. I want you to draw a circle around that, that phrase. Each one in verse 7. I want you to draw a line down to verse 11 and you'll see the same phrase in verse 11. Each one. I want you to draw a line to, to verse 18 and you'll see that phrase again, each one. You know what God is telling us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He's saying this, that God includes you in His plan for the church. He needs you. He includes you, each one of you. Now you say, well, I'm just, you know, I'm not, I don't have much and I'm not much and I don't have a great ability. God has includes you. He wants to use you. You are a vital part of the church. Each one. 
And, and that just narrows it down to the individual aspect of the Christian life. We have to have each one of us. That's why I like to say, just like this young lady who came this morning and joined our church, what I always feel when that person comes is, well, today our body has been completed. It's, it, it's, it's, God has brought the one into our fellowship that completes it. Now, next week, we may have to have another one to complete it. But every single person is vital to the ministry of the church, each one of you. Now, notice the third word. It's the word manifestation. Now, the word manifestation is, it, it means this, to make something evident or obvious. To make something evident or obvious. Now, you know what Jesus did? He manifested God. He made the invisible God visible. And the, and the reason He came was to manifest the Father. He came to reveal God so that Jesus is a manifestation of an invisible God. Do you know what or who is the manifestation of the invisible Holy Spirit? The manifestation of the invisible Holy Spirit is a believer manifesting his spiritual gifts. Is a church manifesting spiritual gifts. So that if we want to manifest, to make evident or obvious the Holy Spirit, we do that by, by administering or living out our spiritual gifts. Now look at a third statement. For the common good. It's, the, it's a combination of Greek words, the Greek words sumthero, Sumthero. It means, the combination means together lifting up. Together lifting up. Now I want you to see this beautiful picture. The church living or manifesting its spiritual gift is together lifting the church up. Edifying. No more tearing down. Together lifting up. Now, wouldn't it be marvelous if somehow this group of people called the First Baptist Church just got together and lifted it up, the church. No such thing as a spiritual gift of criticism. Some people must think, I've got the gift of criticism, you know. Uh, there's no such thing as tearing down. Now, now, now think about what you did last week. Is what you did last week lifting up the church or tearing it down? What you thought, what you said last week, was it a matter, was it something that lifted up the church or tore it down? Sumthero, lifting up the church together. Now, I want to just mention, it, because it's in our outline, the, the listing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and they are there in verses 8, etc. And then, of course, the one who distributes the, Holy, the gifts of the Holy Spirit is verse 11, that is, the, uh, the Holy Spirit Himself. Now, I see three applications. I want to give you these and then I'm through. Three applications. Being, first, being aware, being aware of your spiritual gift pleases God. Verse 1. Being aware of your spiritual gift pleases God. God is concerned that you know the area 
He has gifted you. He's concerned that you know where and how He has gifted you. Second, being willing to use your gift is constructive to the whole body. Verse 7. Being willing to use your gift is constructive to the whole body. Verse 7. Number three. Being satisfied with your gift is an honor to the giver. Verse 11. Being satisfied with your gift is an honor to the giver. Now, if he chooses to give you a spiritual gift and you're satisfied with that, that's an honor to him. I mean, wonder why he feels when we eat our heart out because we don't have a certain gift. Or we pray for a different gift. It's, it's, it's an honor to him. It's honoring him. It's glorifying him when we are satisfied with our spiritual gift. Any question or comment? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the lesson that we can learn from your word that is vital to the heart and life and ministry and work and function of this body called the church. I pray that each one of us will find our place and be what we are meant to be here. Because I ask it in Jesus' name for His sake. Now I'd like to give an invitation tonight. The invitations that I'd like to give, one has to do with personal, personal experience of salvation. You're trusting Jesus as your personal Savior. It's an awesome and marvelous thing that you can open up your life and let Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit come to live in you, live His life out in you. The Holy Spirit living in you, producing, reproducing Himself, reproducing the life of Jesus in you, it's an awesome thing. It's possible for you to be the possessor of the God who made you. He'll come in and live in your life. It happens when we by faith surrender our heart and life to Jesus Christ. When we by faith take Him in to our life. When we trust Him, Him alone, for our salvation. Second invitation is for Christian people to join the church or to make rededication of life. You understand these invitations. As God leads you to come, we'll give you that opportunity while we stand, while we sing.